So, I've had to learn in the last few years, I've decided to learn how to do certain things on our vehicle by myself, right? Um, Mechanic shops can be expensive, and it's just a handy thing to try to learn to do some things yourself. So, one of the things I had to undertake was changing our thermostat on our family vehicle last year. And for those of you who have done that before or have seen that done before, at least for our vehicle, it comes to a point where you have to, there's a spring that you have to push in in order to release the thermostat, and then there's a spring you have to push in in order to put the new one in. And often when you buy the new thermostat from the auto parts place, it, it advertises that there's this tool they're going to give you with it that helps spring that helps you push the spring in and create the tension so that you can put it in its proper place. Well, the part that I brought, the store that I bought the part from refused to give me that tool that I needed. So it was much more difficult to try to use a screwdriver and pliers at the same time trying to press down and turn and get it to work the proper way. Eventually, at least I think I did it right cuz the car still hasn't overheated yet. But But tension is the word I want to focus on. Often we have tension when we have two things pressing against each other, two forces pressing against each other, what seems to be in opposite directions, and we have to try to get them to work together. We have all sorts of tensions throughout Scripture. Not contradictions, but tensions. We have things like the Trinity, Or we have one God but three persons. Or we have things like the nature of who Jesus is and that he's fully God and fully man. Or we have things like God is completely sovereign and in control of everything, yet human beings are responsible for our own sin. Today we have a tension we're going to address called the already not yet. There's elements upon Jesus entering into the earth, there's elements of the final age is upon us. There's elements that are already true upon Jesus coming into the world, but there's also elements of it's not yet quite fully here yet. And so that's what we're going to see this morning in the language that Jesus uses. If you remember last week we saw Jesus give his response to the Jewish people, right? He began his response to the Jewish people after they were questioning Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. So Jesus begins to establish this father-son relationship, right? And, And explains to them something that we already assume as we come to scripture, that there is a father-son relationship, but that was totally unknown to the Jewish people as far as God was concerned. But as Jesus continues with his explanation to them, he begins to give an emphasis on death and life, on the whole concept of judgment that is coming. And that is where we're going to land in our passage today. We're in John chapter 5. Starting in verse 24, we're going to pull one verse from last week just so we have the full context here. Starting verse 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So the first thing we find out about this coming hour, right? That's the title of the message, is there's an hour that's coming. First thing we find out is that the hour is here. Right from the beginning, we have this tension. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. So we have an hour that's coming in the future, but Jesus says the hour is actually, in one sense, already here. Jesus is foreshadowing a reality now that will be fully present in the future. Right? This reality of what's going to happen is already has elements starting to show up upon the arrival of Jesus into this world. Specifically, what's going to be physically true in the future has already begun to be spiritually true now. There's a few things we find out about this hour that is currently upon Jesus and the people around him and what is currently upon us now. The first thing we find out At this hour, this present hour, all people are spiritually dead. Jesus makes it clear in verse 25 that his voice is falling upon the ears of those who are dead. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Only the dead are hearing the voice, right? Everybody is Dead. Or if you look back at verse 24, right? Whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So everybody, before they hear the word of Jesus, is in death. So this is the absolute baseline for human beings at the present hour. All are born spiritually dead. Or Paul continues this concept in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's everybody. All of us are born spiritually dead. We know Jesus is talking in a spiritual sense. Why? Because he says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, right? And, the dead, and those who hear will live. Right? Well, if the dead are the ones hearing Jesus' voice, Jesus isn't only talking to physically dead people at this point in time. Right? There, we actually only see a handful of instances where we see physically dead people come to life in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus has more faithful followers than those few that he raises from the physical dead, doesn't he? 
So that means Jesus is talking here when he says the dead, it's in a spiritual sense. Sin has rendered all people from the moment they enter this world unresponsive to Jesus. But it doesn't end there. The second truth we find is that while all are dead, some who are dead hear the voice of the Son. Certain dead people hear Jesus' voice, right? We see this last week, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Right? There's this link between those who hear Jesus' word, those that are dead, and their faith, their belief in Jesus and in God the Father. So there's a link here that only some hear Jesus' voice and respond with belief. And we see it again in verse 25. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear... Right? There's a limitation putting on, on this here. Jesus is saying that while his voice goes out, there's only some who hear it. Not everybody is going to hear it. This makes sense with the rest of Jesus' ministry. He has this ongoing phrase in, in other Gospels where he says, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus' expectation in saying that is that there's some who don't have the ears to hear. But there are those who do. There are those that are going to respond with faith. Or, if you look at this just later in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, starting in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Those who belong to Jesus recognize the voice of Jesus. Which means that there are people who are not going to recognize the voice of Jesus. So here's the reality. Not everyone will hear the voice of Jesus. Both literally and figuratively. First of all, literally. There are people in our world who will go their entire lives never hearing about Jesus. Now, most of us hear that and we think of people in other parts of the world, right? We think of the fact that there's tribal groups out there who we don't even understand their language enough yet in order to interpret and and extend the gospel call to them, to explain Jesus to them. And that's very true. But I think sometimes we also forget that there's people in our own communities that may go now their entire lives never having stepped foot in a church, never hearing the full truth of who Jesus is. They might hear bits and pieces on Facebook or whatever social media they're on, but that doesn't mean they're hearing the full truth of who Jesus is. So there's a literal sense to this, but there's also a figurative sense to this, that there are even people who do go to church, that there are even people who have heard the full extent of the gospel explained to them, and they still don't recognize the shepherd's voice. There's people who hear the full gospel and don't respond with faith. We know this is true, right? 
All of us should prob- probably have people in our lives that we know they've heard the full gospel, but they've never responded to it with faith yet. Maybe some of you have experienced this in your own life of recognizing someone's voice. Now, I understand this is not my generation, maybe generations before me, but did anybody ever go play in the streets and you knew when it was your parents' voice calling you to come home? Did you recognize your parents' voice? Or maybe for the younger generations, it's the fact that we recognize when we get a certain text that that means I need to come home. Or we recognize the tone of voice over a phone call of, I better get there right now. Right? We recognize the voice. So it is here. All are spiritually dead entering into this world, but only some hear the voice of Jesus. Not just audibly, but hear it in such a way that they respond. Because, look what happens. Some hear the Son's voice. Those who hear his voice will live. Those who hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear the voice of Jesus, are spiritually resurrected to new life. A new life has begun for those who truly hear Christ's voice. Verse 24 again. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You hear the voice. Believe the one who sent him, which means you're believing the Son and you're believing the Father. We saw that last week. You can't honor one without the other. And the result is eternal life. Or verse 25, we see it. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The only hope for eternal life Not just life in the future, but eternal life for you here and now rests completely in the reality of hearing the voice of the Son. Which means that we are responding with faith, trust in the Son, and His death and resurrection. Now, all this talk of resurrection, of death to life, might bring to mind a story that we're going to see later on in the Gospel of John. The story of Lazarus, right? Let's just talk about that for a moment. What would have happened if any other person in the world went to the grave, went to the tomb, and said, Lazarus, come out? It would have never happened. There's only one voice that gives life to Lazarus, and it's the voice of the Son. Just like that, there's only one voice that gives life to those who are spiritually dead. The voice of Jesus. Spiritual resurrection can only be wrought by Jesus himself. And we're going to see this life-giving voice of the Son explained in the next couple verses. So we have the hour is here. Now we have the hour of the Son of Man. Jesus now returns to the Father-Son relationship, similar to last week, but he gives us a new spin on it in a sense. First we find out that the Father has granted life to the Son. 
It was believed by the Jewish people that only the God, the Father, had life. They didn't believe that there was a Son. Jesus is trying to explain that to them right now. But Jesus tells them here in verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So the Father has now granted the Son the power to give life. That's why it's the Son's voice that must be heard. Because it is the Son's voice that is revealing the Father to the world. We saw that back in chapter 1. That the Son is revealing the glory of the Father to the world. So it's the Son's voice that must be heard and responded to in order to have the Father. So the Jewish people at this point are being told, you need to recognize you are spiritually dead. You need the Father to live, but the only way you get the Father is to hear the Son. But it's not just life that the Son has authority over. Verse 27, the Son has been given authority to judge, similar to last week. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. So now the Son not only has the authority to give life to those that are going to have eternal life, but he also has the authority now to execute judgment on those who don't hear his voice. Right? We, we saw last week that the Son has been given all judgment. It said last week the Father judges no one, but has given all of it over to the Son. Which raises the question of why. Well, Jesus and John answer that for us in the second part of verse 27. Because he is the Son of Man. Jesus gives us new information here. We haven't heard this term, Son of Man, show up very often yet in the Gospel. Instead, it's been a focus on what? Son of God. Right? There's this element of John arguing that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. Right? He is the God-man. He's God in the flesh. But now we have him say, because he is the Son of Man, he has authority to execute judgment. So what does he mean by Son of Man? Throughout the Old Testament, the Son of Man is used in two ways. First of all, it's used to denote someone's humanity. right? Just simply that he is a Son of Man, meaning he's a human being, meaning he, he's able to die, he's able to get sick, all of this. Which would make sense at some points in Jesus' life, right? We, we need to balance out right, that he is fully God, that he's fully man. So it makes sense to say he's Son of Man, but would it... it It would really be confusing at this point, wouldn't it, to say he is able to execute judgment on all men because he's a man. So that's probably not what Jesus is getting at, probably not what John's trying to get at. It makes more sense that Jesus is referring to the same thing. We've already discussed this, but it was all the way back in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we saw that Son of Man is the one who has angels ascending and descending from him. And it was a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. And it's likely the same thing going on here. Let me just, let's just cover Daniel chapter 7 real quick to establish that this is likely what Jesus is getting at. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, which is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the Son of Man is one who's given a dominion that's an everlasting dominion. But within that dominion, we see as we continue throughout Daniel, that there are beasts who arise, who try to fight against this dominion. And there's a final beast that arises. And then we see what happens within this dominion that is the Son of Man's. Look at verse 25 of Daniel 7. This final beast. He shall speak words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion And the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey Him. What happens to the evil, the beast that arises against the Son of Man's dominion? Judgment. The court shall sit in judgment. So it makes sense that if Jesus is the Son of Man, from Daniel 7, it makes sense for Jesus to say here, because Jesus is the Son of Man, He is the one given authority to execute judgment. He is the one who gives life, and He is the one who serves justice. We all experience this in our own lives on a micro level. Not a macro level like Jesus, but on a micro level. Think of your life. What is your dominion? Most of us, it's our homes, at least in one sense, right? That is our dominion. If someone does something wrong in our home, what do we do? We execute judgment. Now, that might look different because we have different ideas of what judgment is supposed to look like to another human being, probably based on whatever age they are. But we execute judgment within our dominion when somebody does wrong. For Jesus, all nations, all peoples, all kingdoms, physical and spiritual, all of it is his dominion. So he is the one who gets to execute judgment across the board. The Son of Man executes spiritual judgment in the present, because the hour is here, but he will execute full physical judgment in the hour to come. Which is our final point, the hour to come. We see a transition now from the present hour to a future hour, when Jesus brings to culmination everything he has started in the present. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this. Now we can hear this, and this can get a little confusing, because last week we were told to marvel at the fact that Jesus gives life and judgment. So why is it being told now to not marvel? Now there's debate as to what's being said here. 
you look at scholars across the board, there's, there's a difference in opinion. Some say, Jesus is saying, do not marvel at the spiritual resurrection so much to the point that you forget there's going to be a physical resurrection. Some say that the Jewish people would have been tempted to be so focused on the physical resurrection that Jesus is actually saying, do not marvel at this physical resurrection I'm about to tell you about so much that you miss the spiritual resurrection. Most scholars tend to lean towards the first one, that he's telling them, don't focus so much on what I'm telling you here and now in the present that you miss what's going to happen in culmination of it in the future. Either way, they're both true, aren't they? We, we shouldn't be so focused on the here and now that we forget what's going to happen in the future, but we shouldn't be so focused on the physical that we forget the spiritual reality that's supposed to be true. Jesus is just trying to establish here that there is a spiritual resurrection in the present that leads to a physical resurrection in the future. But notice the differences between the spiritual resurrection and the physical resurrection. Look what happens in verse 28. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. What happened in the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection, was only some hear the Son's voice. What happens in the final resurrection, all who are physically dead hear his voice. All, everyone will hear his voice. Not that they're going to be brought to eternal life, but that everyone is going to be raised to physically new life. Right? Verse 29. When they hear his voice, what do they do? And come out. So there's those who are in the tombs are going to hear the voice of Jesus when he comes on that final day, and they're all going to be raised to life, physically. All who are physically dead. Which is really just a phrase to say, every person to ever exist on the face of the earth. Every single individual that has ever existed in human history will be resurrected to life, physically. But then there's a separation that's made. Verse 29. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now don't get caught up in the those who have done good versus those who have done evil. There's no sense whatsoever that Jesus is saying that you get eternal life by your works. Right? The whole point in Jesus' ministry, over and over, we hear, you shall know them by their fruit. Right? Fruit, the works of someone, is what shows what's already happened in the depths of the person. Right? So, it's just that the works are the external reality of what's already happened internally of someone. So, Jesus isn't saying these people are saved by works. He's saying, this is a difference. People have been spiritually resurrected and those who have not been spiritually resurrected. But here's the reality. That all of us know this is true, but we often can become numb to it. On that final day, all people of human history will be resurrected. All people will be physically brought to life. But those who have done good those who have heard the voice of the Son, those who follow the Son, 
will be resurrected to life. And those who have done evil, those who have missed the voice of the Son, will be resurrected to judgment. And that day is forever where those people will dwell. Every single person will either go to life or go to judgment. And all of it's based upon whether they responded to the Son or not. And this judgment that Jesus will make is good and just and righteous. Look at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is executing the judgment that he is hearing from the Father. For the Jews hearing this, Jesus has just thrown down a point that they cannot argue with. He's saying, the Father is the one telling me the judgment. If Jesus is correct, which he is, he is perfectly just to send those who have done evil, those who haven't responded in faith to the Son, by sending them to judgment. Evil is determined by how one is responding to Jesus himself. Have you ever had, I don't know how many of you had good good siblings in your life growing up, but maybe you had a good parent or a sibling that stuck up for you in the midst of something going on, where maybe you had a bully or somebody giving you a hard time, and your parent or your sibling came and said, if you're messing with them, you're messing with me. The father-son relationship is much deeper than that, and a much larger scale than that, but the point is the same. If you ignore the son, you miss the father. And those who miss the father receive judgment, eternity, and condemnation. But those who hear the son, truly hear the son, and follow the son, and obey the son, they honor the father, and they will be resurrected to life and spend eternal life in the future forever with the Son and with the Father. There's an implication here of the hour's already here, but there's also an hour to come, right? There's a spiritual resurrection now that leads to a physical resurrection that is coming. So as we look at all of these truths we see in this passage, I want to focus on three counsels for us. What does this mean for my current day-to-day life? As we see these two resurrections play out through Jesus, the Son of Man, there are some tensions, back to that word, that we need to hold together. We have to fight to hold on to the already, not yet, reality. And we have to avoid going to the extremes of either side. So, first, counsel for us is do not neglect the spiritual resurrection. 
You see, because American Christianity is, has put this large emphasis on, if you say this prayer, you come to the altar, you say this prayer, you get heaven. And that's your assurance. That's it. You, you have a promised physical resurrection. Don't worry about the current spiritual one that you're supposed to be experiencing. That if you just trust in Jesus, you get to be with him someday after you die. And while the essence of that is true, the emphasis, the overemphasis on what comes later misses what Jesus is saying is the hour that is right now. Jesus says that there are spiritually dead people now hearing his voice and given life right here, right now. I want to focus on three things that spiritually resurrected people do. We could do a number of things, but let me just hit three real quick. Spiritually resurrected people view other people differently. Those who hear the voice of Jesus listen to what Jesus says about what is true of the people around them. First of all, spiritually resurrected people view other people as those who are made in the image of God. They are given value regardless of what age they are, regardless of what color their skin is, regardless of what issues they have in life. Every person around you has innate value to them because they're made in the image of God. That's how spiritually resurrected people view others. I think this is something our culture has completely missed, hasn't it? The solution to abortion, the solution to racism is the fact that we need to start seeing each other as made in the image of God. Point blank. Beyond that, not only do we see people as made in the image of God, but we see all people who haven't responded to Jesus as spiritually dead, meaning they face judgment. If that is true you begin to relate to people around you differently than if there was no spiritual aspect to life. If you actually look at the people around you and see, I know these people haven't responded in faith to Jesus, and they face judgment, you should begin to relate to those people differently if you think they are going to spend eternity separated from God. So spiritually resurrected people view other people differently. They also view themselves differently. Before Jesus, in our spiritual death, all of us are focused on one person, ourself. All of us only seek after our own glory, our own kingdom, our own desires. But when we are raised in Christ, you don't begin, you begin to look at yourself in a different way. You now see yourself as a sinner, as one who deserves no glory, you begin to see yourself as saved, that it's only by the grace of God that you're spiritually resurrected. Which means now your life no longer belongs to yourself, but your life is a means to serve God. Our social media world has done nothing but promote that your life is about you. That is the purpose of social media right now, right? I'm not saying it can't be used for the glory of God. What I'm saying is the whole overarching theme is it's all about you. 
right here, right now, what you want, what you want people to think about you, how you want to be seen, the pictures you want to post, preferably edited versions of yourself so you can look good for other people, right? But spiritually resurrected people don't think of themselves that way anymore. It's not about their own glory, but it's about God's. And last, spiritually resurrected people view the world differently. As ones who were being focused only on the benefit for ourselves, we saw the rest of the world as our means to fulfill our desires. The money we made was for me. The job I had was for me. The car I had was for me. The house I have is for me. My education was for me. But resurrection changes all of that. Now it's all for Christ's glory, for God's glory. The world is no longer the means to see yourself make it to the top of the ladder. But now you're looking for ways of how you can worship God through all of these avenues. You make money so that you can expand his kingdom. You have your job so that you can be his witness. You go to school and get an education that you might serve him. So this is the first counsel. We can't neglect the spiritual resurrection of the hour that is here right now. Second counsel, do not neglect the physical resurrection. The pendulum can swing the other way, where people begin to think only of the here and now and miss the fact that there's an eternity. So there's two things of those who... Think of the physical resurrection rightly. Those who hope in physical resurrection contemplate the eternal effects of their life. This world is not the end all. Though, as we said, social media operates differently, right? Social media not only promotes that you are to only care about yourself, it also operates in a way of saying the only reality that matters is right here and right now. It operates as if God doesn't exist. But there is a final day coming when all people will face Jesus. And what we do each and every day in the here and now has eternal effects. So ask yourself the question. If you knew your house was going to catch fire in 15 minutes. And I told you you could go in your house and grab everything that had eternal importance, what would you grab? How much would you grab? How much in your house would you grab that if you were only allowed to grab that which has eternal significance? I was thinking about this question, and I was like, the people in my Bible can't think of much else, right? There's not a whole lot else that I can think of that has eternal effects. Now ask yourself the question, are those things that you would grab, if you're only allowed to grab eternal things, are those the same things that have the most significance in your life day to day? So those who hope in physical resurrection contemplate the eternal effects of their life. They also those who hope in physical resurrection, are not surprised by the brokenness in our current world. If there is an hour coming when everything is going to be made right, guess what that means? 
everything's not right right now. That not only is our world broken right now, not only is our world fallen in sin right now, but if Jesus doesn't come back, the world's going to be the same way tomorrow. And I don't say this to discourage you, but I say this to set the reality before us that there's brokenness. That sin has made our world a fallen world. Now remember, brokenness doesn't mean that God's not working. It just means things have not been fully made right yet. But when we understand that there's a day things will be made right, and that our current day is not that day yet, it means we should not be surprised by the effects of brokenness. We should not be surprised by illness. We should not be surprised to see hate. We should not be surprised to see immorality. We should not be surprised by death. Because all of that is effects of a sin-fallen world. It doesn't mean we can't be grieved by these things. It just means we shouldn't be surprised that they're there. So that's our second counsel. Don't neglect the physical resurrection. And then the final one is we have to understand the two resurrections are deeply woven together. Your life is meant to hold these two resurrections in tension with each other. That you wake up each and every day spiritually resurrected already. That you have a new mind, a new heart, a new will inside of you. But you also wake up every day fighting your old sinful flesh. Seeing the sin that still exists within you. And seeing the sin that exists in the people around you. So while you wake up spiritually resurrected, you wake up in the midst of a battle because the physical resurrection has not yet happened. And what you do is you wake up and you fight knowing, holding on to the hope that the Son of Man who raised you spiritually will fully raise you physically on that last day. Brothers and sisters, the hour is here. And the hour is yet to come. The hour of life and judgment is upon us now. And the hour of future life and judgment is yet to come. And all of it rests upon the Son of Man. The Son of God. So this morning, if you haven't given yourself to Jesus, if you haven't been spiritually resurrected, I promise you, the hour to do so is here. The hour is now. To trust in Christ's ultimate death and resurrection that he ends up at, that we might fully experience this new life, spiritually now, physically later. And for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. May we live each day as those who already have new life, as we also wait for the appearance of our final eternal life. Let's pray together.